how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to episode 429, where I sat down with Maurice Williams and Ian Edelman, two of the screenwriters from Kid Cudi's Intergalactic, a Netflix film from Kid Cudi and Kenya Barris. In this interview, we talk about how they got this project made, which started as a live action series, the writing collaboration between the four of them, expanding the idea to bring animation and how Into the Spider-Verse kind of changed things for this movie, what it means to learn animation, why they chose to animate and then what that meant for making it, what it means to be born under a lucky star in filmmaking, and the new Hollywood system, which is how Williams notes his early success. If it's your first time here, make sure you hit that subscribe button. You can also find this interview on the Creative Screenwriting website, and I'll be sharing some clips on Instagram, at Brock Swinson. You can also go to brockswinson.com to get my first book, Ink by the Barrel, Secrets from Prolific Writers, which is based on this podcast. That's the free book, digital download, and audiobook over at brockswinson.com. I had always been a really big fan of the written word, really, from like just childhood, like, you know, in different mediums and tried different mediums, whether it be, you know, youthful songwriting or, you know, my, my undergrad degree was in journalism. Just I just always thought that um, there's like kind of beauty in the in the creation, like, you know, the, the alchemy that you just have nothing and then you have something about writing. And then. Um, I was a performer for a really long time. I got my MFA in theater and at UCSD. And when I graduated um, and I got to Los Angeles, I kind of was, um, as I learned more about the business, I just kind of gravitated more towards the, the writing side of things because I saw how much um, control uh, things started with what was on the page. You know what I mean? And then you, you start to do, like I've always been a really big cinephile and you're doing research and, from all from every like great movie that I that I loved, the most purest form of the idea was on the page, and because of that, I just started to um, you know kind of gravitate toward the writing space. And luckily, uh, a few people took a liking to what I was doing, and and it became kind of a something I became really really passionate about. Luckily, you know, life has been okay after that. <laughs> Cool. Um, hey, I'm Ian Edelman, uh, one of the writers on Intergalactic. Um, I I think if I go all the way back, um, and recent I share this, which is why we made great partners, uh, is probably just for me, uh, yes, sort of growing up as a TV kid, watching television and movies with my brother, you know, both my parents worked, but I think even beyond that, it was uh, growing up in New York City, going to public school, riding a bus in the subway at a young age and realizing like the greatest character studies are, are in my, literally in my backyard. And I think, I think for me, it was like, you know, independent films of the, of the 90s or like 2000, I would go to the Angelica Theater in New York City because there was no cable was HBO. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's for me what really, you know, 
that was the bug for me where I was like, wait, I want to, I want to tell stories about, about kids that I know, you know, doing, doing weird things and living interesting lives that are not, that are not uh, the conventional, you know, even though I grew up and my favorite movie was the outsiders as a kid, you know what I mean? I guess, I guess actually that makes sense. I guess that feels like those kids were outsiders, but you know what I mean? It wasn't as much as I loved ET that felt like a movie movie. And I was like, wait, I'm a skater. Like these kids, we love ET, but we also like have these other stories, these other, we have a different way of looking at the world and wanting to kind of figure out a way to have a career telling those stories. And did you guys meet before this project on this project? How did you guys kind of get together? I'll tell you the funny thing about it, man, is I met Ian way before Ian met me. (laughs) (laughs) That's way I can describe that is um, I was in, like I said, when I was in graduate school, man, I was in La Jolla, California, like studying like Shakespeare and, 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 uh, Pinter and all of these, like, you know, check off, like real, like theatrical kind of storytelling. And I was like the only cool kid in this program. And I don't mean cool kid. Like <laughs> I, I'm cool. I mean, like there's a breed of like what, what Ian and I and like New Yorkers call like downtown kids, which you can, you know, there's a, there's a whole bunch of like uh, people in culture now who you, who you know, as being these downtown kids, but like they were, there was nothing like that in La Jolla, California. I don't know if you know. <laughs> and um, at the time, there was this show on HBO called How to Make It in America. And I remember the first season, the first episode of the show, watching it with like a classmate of mine and literally standing up and being like, that's it. That's what I'm trying to describe <laughs> to you guys. Like that energy of, um, you know, of that downtown like incubator of culture, but also the laissez-faire attitude that we had towards it. Um, it was so emblematic of how, you know, my my teenage years were. It was just so like, that's it, right? And then the only things that were different about the experience felt like they were very, very specific to whoever created this thing. So how to make it was like a North Star guiding light for me, like as an artist in this medium period. So I had always been like a huge fan of Ian's. And um, when I was in the early developmental stages with Scott, um, with uh, Kikari on on Intergalactic, and when Netflix came back and was like, well, you know, we have no idea who you are. <laughs> so we're going to, you know, we, we need to partner you with uh, with someone with with experience. It was like a no brainer. It was like, well, does anybody think what's what's Ian doing? And <laughs> we met, um, and quite honestly, Brock, like from the instance that we that we met the beyond just really, really liking each other, I don't know how to speak for Ian, we just had like such a mutual understanding and respect for each other very, very quickly. And Ian was the first person in Hollywood who, uh, one, took a, a care in talking to me as if we were equals, do you know what I mean? And and also just having like a grand respect for whatever my version of creativity or artistry was. And, you know, I love him for that. And that, that that's kind of how we met from my from my side but i really cannot tell you how much it felt like when i met him i was like i know this guy yeah <laughs> i know this guy i watched two seasons of this thing <laughs> yeah bro it was yeah i mean it was like one of those things you know it was like i i you know i met maurice through work but we've become we've become very close friends i don't want to put words <laughs> in his mouth yeah and i just i just i just, i have my 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 line is that maurice, if I, maurice is my better looking smarter younger brother like it was you know like there's a there's a sh- he grew up in queens i grew up in manhattan we both grew up playing basketball 
I'm a decade older than him, but like, there's still, it's just like generations of, I think, creative kids who were the same sauce was sprinkled into all of us, obviously in different ways, but shaped by different life experiences and family and neighborhood and economics and all these things. However, when I met him and we were getting into what well, like it was like I met I sat down with him and Kenya Barris, who I had known, who and I always admired and had a good relationship with just further early, early, you know, pre-Maurice in my travels in Hollywood. And then Kenya introduced Maurice and it was like, oh, immediately, like I was like, this is the guy. And then we like it wasn't it was like I hate to say it because it was just effortless. We we're like, let's just do this together. Yeah. We started and it like started to like and it, you know, like some things are really hard and Andrew Galactic, at least for us creatively, was kind of like born under a lucky star because I think just because of who we are and who and who and who Scott Kid Cudi is, you know, what I mean, we all shared this thing. Absolutely. And I think that the other thing and uh, the last thing about the the collaborative process, not the last thing, I'm sure you ask another question, but like the uh, last thing about the intro to the collaborative process, very, very early on. And again, like Ian, keep me honest, very early on, we were like sitting in a in an office at uh, Kenya's production company and we were meant to be like brainstorming or whatever. And uh, I'm like walking around the room kind of like we're putting together this story and like, and Ian's just quiet. He's kind of just looking at me for a second, maybe for like, like 10 minutes of some filibuster that I was going on. And he was just like, you're the guy, man, this is you, I'm here to help. And yeah. like, I thought that that was so indicative of the process in general, right? Where it was just like uh, the support on every side and every angle, you know, whether it was from top down with Kenya and Scott or whether it was like from a collaborator with Ian, even it's like you know the, the other writers who we had in our in our writers room process, which I'm sure we get to at some point. Like it was just always like ISO. Like everybody's just cool to be like I. When it's my turn to to take the ball and run with it, I will do such. And I think that, that was a, I thought that was like a really really great thing that we had in our team dynamic, very early. Yeah, I'm curious, like uh, Maurice, to kind of step back a little bit, like. It seems like a good thing that you didn't approach Ian earlier because you might have said, oh, this is the guy. I want to do what this guy does. But you came to him with the project. I mean, do you have any advice for finding either mentors or collaborators like that? Yeah, work. And I, I think that the, the funniest thing about it is I tell everybody it's the work you do <laughs> in the art and it's the work you do um, out of admiration. Um, quite literally, I uh, the first like or I, I had like two like spec projects that I had worked on that kind of were my calling card here in the business at first, you know, like, like most writers do. And they were quite literally inspired by, you know, by how to make it and some other like shows that I, like they, they have that, that essence. So even in the sense of like, it wasn't like, Hey, Ian, I've got an idea. Let's do this together. You know, nobody wants to do that. That, that, that is, disrespectful to how hard it is to do this thing. You know, it's not, we're not, it's not rocket science and we're not in the steel mill, but it definitely is very, very hard to sit down with nothing and come up with something and to do it in a way where you feel like you're being true to your vision or, or thought process. So to come to someone who has done that before, who has those lashes, who's been up and down the mountain to come to them and be like, I've got this kernel of a thing. Now give me what you do. And that's not how it works. That's not how it works. It, it is very much so is something where, you know, you have to put your head down and you have to produce things yourself. And and they don't have to be produced as in the sense of it has to be shot, it has to be whatever. But I want to know that for at least 25 hours, you sat in a room and looked at a blank screen and came up with something because then I know what I'm getting into. And I think that 
for Ian, I think and he can tell you, like, when we first met, we had a great first meeting and it was great. And then Ian was like, all right, I'll read you. I kind of was like, I'll, I'll read this thing. And then that night he called me and was like, yo, I read. I'm in. And like, there's, like, there's an element of, you know, that great meeting. And my career has kind of like been birthed out of this in multiple ways. But that great meeting is very easy to have. You know what I mean? That that happen stance run in is very easy to have, specifically in Hollywood. And I think that people want that run-in more than they want to be able to produce after that run-in. So you have to be prepared for that moment. And in that moment, you just you, you have to have honed your taste by what you've done, not by what you think would be the best way that I could describe that. Well said, Maurice. So we touched on a few things. I want to kind of put it together. What was the original idea? How did you get with like eventually Kid Cudi and Ian and um, Kenya Barris as well? Um, well, I had worked, excuse me, I had, uh, I was literally quite literally to what I was just talking about. I was discovered in a jean shop by uh, a, a writer, a really great writer named Doug Hall, um, who we just started talking about story and things like that. And, and just, I was working in this jean shop at the time about to move back to New York. And he was just like, man, you're brilliant. Like, what are you doing in this jean shop? And I'm like, shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> if I could get out of this joint, I would. <laughs> but, um, but he's like, I want to introduce you to somebody. And he introduced me to Kenya. Um, and I, you know, I, I owe the opportunity of my career to, to Kenya very much so because he luckily is like the busiest man in Hollywood. And because of that, he was able to like give me some opportunities to kind of like work on some things. Um, and in that time that I was working directly with him, um, up under him at his production company, we were working on a bunch of ideas. Um, I was in New York and he called me one day and he's like, Hey, you know, Kenya had just signed his huge deal over at Netflix. And quite literally when I say everyone in Hollywood came and was like, I got an idea. Cause it was just like such a big number that everyone was just like, Hey, look, there's money over there. I'm coming. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, he called me one day and he said, he said, Oh, your, your man was in, was in the studio today pitching an idea. And I'm like, who are you talking about? He was like, Kid Cudi. Now I, I don't, I didn't know Scott at the time. I just much like Ian had been again he's he's one of those examples of that downtown kid that i'm talking about you know what i mean like he he might be even like the patron saint of that of that downtown care between like him and rocky i think they are those those two you know the the pacino and de niro of the downtown scene <laughs> That's so funny. and wow. and uh i was like really he's like yeah he wants to do something he's not really sure yet but i think it's got something to do with music or whatever so i got on a plane that night and showed up to the office the next day and like ran into Kenya and, and tried to pretend like I hadn't been thinking about it, you know, uh, on the plane. I was like, yeah, man, you know, it's so funny. Like, um, I was thinking about that Cuddy thing. Like, maybe <laughs> something weird. And um, I talked to Kenya for about an hour, then went off and write, wrote like what originally was going to be some sort of like uh, live action anthology that was going to kind of like use some of his bigger songs as like streamlined through the, like, you know, make some yeah. sort of like tributary uh kind of story wrapped around that took place in new york city um and you know we, we sent it over to scott and he loved it and then we just kind of got into it and as we got into it the idea kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger um scott started making music he started being inspired to make make music he made about three songs in a week and um and we ultimately ended up not doing it live action at netflix because the ticket was going to get really 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 expensive we were trying to do genre anthology in new york city um and right when right when we were like oh man this is not gonna happen mike moon and elizabeth porter who were the head of netflix animation at the time adult animation at the time 
uh, heard that we were in the building talking to some people about the show, they came back and was like, what happens if we make it animated? We had never, Scott, myself, Kenya had no interest in doing that. We were like, what are you talking about? This is not, you know, doesn't even make any sense. And that weekend, serendipitously, that weekend, Into the Spider-Verse came out. And we showed up on Monday and it was like, it was like that scene in the office when everyone was like, did you see it? Did you see it? Did you see it? And it was like, we saw it and we had the idea that it could be something like that animation. I think we all learned with Spider-Verse to be fair and to give them their flowers and Pete and all of them their flowers. What we learned with that movie is that animation is not a genre, it's a medium. And if you can tell a great story in this medium, it can be, it, it, it actually might transcend more than live action. And because of that, then we, we, we made a switch over to animation. And uh, that, that's how, you know, uh, when we were trying to figure out how we could possibly do this, we came to Ian, Ian jumped on board and then that fast tracked everything. Then Ian and I just sat in a room for maybe about two months working on some stuff. Then we spent, like what I would call like a two week, three week, maybe boot camp writer, writer session with Scott, where we kind of just stayed in the studio while he played music and we talked about ideas. We talked about love and talked about life and kind of just put it all together and uh, moved on from there. So when I think of like Kid Cudi's music, I think of it, I don't know, it's hard to describe. It's like more than just music. There's a certain feeling you get with it. And it's beyond that. You guys wanted this to not really feel animated, but still kind of live with it. Like, tell me about the original ideas to what kind of animation was it going to be? Like, how did you start to define this thing that wasn't really in existence yet? Well, I think it was, you know, like, like Murray said, given that nobody on the, original core creative team had ever worked in animation before. It was a process of discovery. Uh, luckily, you know, Kenya has incredible resources and relationships. And so when Mo and Kenya called me, they had already spoken to like, you know, uh, A-list animation minds. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I turned over to you, but I mean, I think the idea was there's a big piece missing and we need a partner. And we got so lucky to get Fletcher Mules to come in. But that was, that was, for sure a separate journey there was the script and that was you know maurice and then me and and obviously scott maurice me then there was animation which obviously we can guide and shape but nobody nobody had ever i don't think anyone had a single animated credit on their on their, on their resume. i think that the thing that we 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 used to say in the inception of the project was like we want we are writing a show to animate it. We're not writing an animation show. And we went about it that way. We we were like, this story has to hold up if we were, you know, shooting it downtown on Prince Street and it was coming out, we would have to be just as responsible for how it felt. And that Scott, the the feeling that you're describing, Brock, when you're like that that feeling, that became thematically what we were trying to do. And we did not want to lose that in the animating of it, like the translation. And and again, like Ian said, I can't speak enough to uh you know, doing the process for me, because I was just there for so long, working on the project for so long, my partnerships between like my partnership in the in the writing and the creating process with Ian into my partnership with Fletcher Moss, who was our director, who like basically just taught me everything about animation. Those like the three of us, like that was just such a such a amazing, like kind of creative, like triumphant in that way. And when he came on, we, me and Ian took Fletch to New York uh, on a weekend trip and 
we're like mobbing. I got them hanging out with the homies like at like two o'clock in the morning at last lap, just really just going for it. And I look over to him. I'll never forget. I looked over to him at the bar and it's like three o'clock in the morning. He's talking with his hands. He's Australian. And he's talking with his hands to like one of my friends who I grew up with, who was, you know, a, 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 a tough person. <laughs> and, and I just talk with his hands in his face and he's like talking to my, my boy's like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, you know, the end, I was like, we're going to be all right. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to be right. This guy gets it. And um, so the animation style was birthed out, out of how do we keep two things happening at once? We want it to feel real. We want it to feel like you get lost in it. You know, like that it's like, oh, this could be live action and I, I respond to it. But also, Fletch was very, very keen on this and he had a great idea. He was like, look, the show has this artistic element to it. And what we won't, don't want to lose is that it is art it's painted it's hand drawn it's every every frame is pa hand painted on that you're seeing in intergalactic it's like um we we move on you know this is animation speaker i guess but instead of moving on you know ones which is like the fluidity of like a pixar or something like that we wanted to move on like twos and fours which is why it feels like it's like the it might be jumping across your screen a little bit but after two minutes you're like oh i know what kind of art i have to I, I, I'm, I'm taking in, you know, you have to bring yourself to it. It, it, it almost like visually educates an audience instantly. And um, I, that was a, the, the style came out of that. That style was brought with, with Fletch for sure, with um, Rob Rupel, who's our, our art director, is just an incredible, incredible artist. So, you know, and there's hundreds and hundreds of people who helped us on that side. And I just, stayed there and tried not to ask questions <laughs> during the animation process. But, you know, they were very, very gracious and um, helped me out a lot to understand. And you saw this in Spider-Verse and, and, and I, and like when Spider, when, when, when Miles wore Jordan ones, it sort of changed culture. Right. And I literally just had this conversation with Phil Lord at a wedding two weeks ago. And like, cause they're dropping the next one. And like, he's, there's a new Jordan. And Maurice sat frame by frame to make sure the silhouettes of the wardrobe were draping the right way. And that is a level of detail that creates authenticity, art, and helps you, that defines an animation style. You know what I mean? It really, it makes it, and it, it's this, I guess all that to say, it's sometimes it's the small things, right? Like forget, forget Pixar and the renders. It's like, yo, his, his jeans actually like need to look like this, not that. And it, and it and it and it what the sum is greater than the parts and the whole and the whole humanity of what we were trying to do let hit harder as a result. And some of that is these characters are changing clothes. They're not wearing one outfit like Homer Simpson or something like that. It's not Doug, man. <laughs> yeah. So what else is there? Like tactically, how do you write that on the page that they're on a bike going into space? Like, is it just that? And then you've had enough conversations that they can run with that? Or how much is actually written down? At that point, at that point, it's collaboration. I'll tell you exactly what was written down. Um, we wrote like it if if you read what used to be six separate, there's six separate TV scripts, you know, initially before we had to re-engineer it as a one play. Um if you read the scripts, you're like, this is an episode of television. You could literally shoot it. You could, it, there's no, there's no element of it that you would be like, oh, well, this is different. Then when we, when Fletch came on, he came into the office, we pitched him the whole season. We pitched him all the characters and all the things. And he was like, cool. Why, why are we animating this? <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? He was like, this is a great show. I'll watch it. But like, why am I here? And that got sense. written on the board. Why animate? Sort why of. animate? And then so then what we started to do is we we treated it almost like 
musical theater in the sense that in musical theater, you write to the highest point of emotion and then the song comes out of that high point, right? And it's the same thing. We we took the narrative that was going and where a character would be, where you would have that scene of revelation, right, in, in live action, that became, and those became the animation points. And I'll also tell you that all of the things that we put in for the Y animate are all out of the movie. <laughs> like, they all got cut out. But but the vocabulary <laughs> started being we started understanding. So then when we shifted from the writing to the animation process, Flex would call me and just be like, "Hey, you know that thing that you guys were thinking about doing here?" Like, yeah. He's like, "What if it looked like this?" It's like, "Oh, that's interesting." And then I would think about it and come back and go, "Hey, you know that thing that you you were saying that looked really cool. I just don't know if it was on character. What if it was like this?" Like, oh, that's really cool. And then so those things start to build. Like the bike ride through through uh through space was an, originally like a bike ride through New York City, seeing all of these landmarks, and he was just using the bike to get to like unnatural places, right? That was the original idea. If you think about like Aladdin and a whole new world kind of a thing. And then when we started storyboarding it, it was just like, if we're gonna go all the way magical. Just do it. It doesn't like it doesn't need. Well, you know, because we come from such a grounded place, Brock. Maurice and I are like, yo, like it's a movie, so he could ride his bike from Soho to Harlem, and no one will call. But and then, but Flex is like, or he could ride to Mars because no one knows anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then the, the 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 process was the combination of those two things: is how do we make this the most beautiful, the most like dynamic animation piece, and then also me and Ian being like, nobody eats there, so we're gonna change that, or like. Or like, oh, this is where they would be standing on this corner. This is what this person would be wearing at this time of day. These are the people who would be in here. None of these people are here. Like the specificity of those small things made the like blowout animation moments make sense. Cause you were like, oh, it's in the middle of New York City and he just took off on Eighth Avenue. And that's that's just what it is. Like, you know right. what I mean? Um you, and if you, you just fill it all if you still it all down, obviously, like why do we animate for, for all those reasons? And also for like the the elephant in the room is we had these musical numbers like like Maurice is saying and we weren't going to make a musical where they performed to camera so suddenly the gear of this animation the sort of the beautiful sort of you know surrealism which is also just like natural to Scott's music man yeah. on the moon you know um intergalactic uh it just all it just was like it's creatively it was just like home turf for us it was not it, did, it, it didn't it didn't even feel forced like again it all came from the grounded real place that everybody on board wanted to maintain for sure you guys have so many elements in place i mean yourselves and this may go back to how to make it in america like is it was it hard do you feel like you had to like graduate to different levels of like pitching this where it's so many different things going on or was it just that like it's you guys it's kenya it's kid cuddy and netflix and like they let you run with it like how do you see it as far as that green light to make something like this you know, uh, Brock, if I'm being completely, completely, completely honest, we had the greatest, like, fullback ever in Mike Moon and Elizabeth Porter and Alex Morris then at, at Netflix at the time. They they kind of hit us away because originally they I think they they told their bosses, oh, yeah, we're going to do this like kind of like music thing with Kid Cudi. It's going to be great. And then everyone was like, OK. And then we just kind of went <laughs> off to this lab and kept coming back. And 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 I remember I, I remember me and Ian went to the uh, Netflix, like the head studio, and we we started pitching the season. Or, I mean, the, the whole piece out to Elizabeth Porter. We were in a small little conference room 
We were pitching the whole thing out. And Elizabeth Porter goes, but can I curse on you? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Go for it. She just goes, she just goes like, oh fuck, this is huge. And not and not in a bad way. She was just like, this is gonna be beautiful. And then they hit us in the dark and really, really, really kind of left us alone and allowed like, so whenever someone would ask a question of like, hey, why are we spending blah, 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 blah? Oh, don't worry about it. It's going to be cool. And like we just, and they, and they really just blocked for us. So the green light process, I think, was much more on their side. Once they got us a yes, you know, from the higher ups at Netflix, it was, you know, the names attached to itself themselves. It's Kenya Barris, it's Kid Cudi, you know what I mean? It's like, okay, and they're going to do something animated. I'll watch that. Like, you know what I mean? It was that. And it was this very big thing where um, we also benefited, you know, we're one of the few probably productions that benefited from the pandemic as well, because everything shut down at the company, but the animation wing could still keep going. And then it's like, so you let them keep going. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And 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 for so long, everyone was like, what is this thing? What is this thing? So when they finally saw it and really liked it and really felt something and it was really moving, it was like, oh, we're glad we didn't ask questions earlier. You know what I mean? We we had very very little, um, yeah, work in interference. It really was like go bigger, go faster, go stronger, and um, and I'm very grateful for them. Brock, as as storytellers, I wish I could tell you, man, we pitched it to, we got 17 no's, and then we got the yes or no's. But like I said at the beginning, it was so effortless, and sometimes you get lucky, and sometimes you get 17 no's and one yes, and you're good. But this one was just from the beginning, from from Cuddy. From Scott wanting to do this to to him partnering with Kenya to them bringing Maurice in like it was not like and then we had the like Maurice said in Mike Moon and Elizabeth Porter like I have not had in my travels like such supportive incredible partners at a studio who are just like they get it they want it to be great and you know their track record if you Google them you will see like they Mike was there Mike's the reason you had Into the Spider Verse like at Sony like they. And, and that's, you know, and they can't all be that. And so sometimes you have different travels and different experiences. I just talked to the guys who did the Harley Quinn, the animated R-rated comedy, and DC was moving to HBO Max, and there was kind of a, no one was watching them for a while. They kind of got the same lucky yeah. break, you know, to, to make something. Um, we'll just do one more. Can you guys talk a little bit more about just like advice for newcomers or maybe just about like a work ethic of getting into the business? Um, I'll quickly give you mine, which is just keep going. You know what I mean? Like, you know, uh, there's no path. There's nothing linear. It's a lot of luck. And the best way to, to get luck is to just keep working and to, you know, to just literally, uh, you know, when I was doing how to make an America, I had a partner who's a great producer and a writer and, uh, his name is Steve Levinson. And one day we were walking from the register to our cars. I was like joking. I was like, yo, Lev, how do you make it in America? And he said, don't quit, don't die. And like, you know what I'm saying? Like that, that's it. I mean, and then like, you know, then, then it's just hard work. I think that 100% is, it's like I said before, it's the work that you do in the dark. You know what I mean? It's the work that you do when nobody's watching. That's really all that matters. That's the only thing that kind of like ever becomes anything. If you do you know what I mean? Like it's it's the things that were how would you do it if nobody was looking over your shoulder? And I just think I'm a firm believer in getting good. I really just I, I really, really believe in that. And remembering that no one cares. And I mean that in a good way. No one cares. No one cares that you've got an idea. Can you execute it? 
You know, can you can you at least give me the blueprint to believe why that idea could be something? And I think also just knowing knowing what you don't know is so important because for instance like on this if i would have been like oh well every animated movie i've ever seen is like this during the process of animating this thing it all falls apart do you know what i mean as opposed to going oh i don't know anything about this okay but I, but what i do know is i know that for two years in a row I sat in front of a TV screen with paper scripts for my favorite movies and turned the page and paused them every minute and read the page and went, oh, that's how you say that. And that's how you see that. Okay, cool. I know I did that for hundreds of movies. So I know when we talk about story, I know what I'm talking about. So now I can contribute to a process that I don't know. You know what I mean? So I think that it's just like, get really, 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 really good and don't rush. Don't rush. I'm I'm a, I'm a, a benefit a beneficiary of like, you know, what you would call the new Hollywood system in the sense that like, if you got a good idea and you can get a, you know, 800 pound gorilla partner, you could probably get it through. I'm I'm definitely a benefit of that. But Ian will attest like it, <laughs> it is a process, you know what I mean? And you have to just be able to, to, to bet on yourself and to always choose the thing that's more fulfilling for how you can get better. Because if you can get better, you can do anything. But if, if you're terrible, people will find out sooner than you think. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Before you take off, I want to give you a free gift. I'm giving you my first book, Ink by the Barrel, for free. That's the digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com. Inside this book, you'll learn how to annihilate writer's block by embracing Elizabeth Gilbert's playful trickster mentality. You can learn to weaponize your anxiety with Kevin Kelly's different is better approach. And learn how to defend your time with Ryan Holiday's calendar anorexia mindset. There's just a few other ideas in the book, Ink by the Barrel. It's also based on over 400 interviews I've done right here on Creative Principles. So go steal that book right now, Ink by the Barrel, to learn how to be a prolific writer. You can get your copy that's digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. If it's your first time here, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode.